Good morning again. My name is Josh. For anyone who doesn't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at church, and uh, it's a privilege to spend a few minutes together just thinking about this. So let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're with us here as we gather this morning. We thank you that your spirit enables us to understand your word. And we pray that uh, this morning that you would do your supernatural work in our lives to show us who you are and to help us to live lives that uh, respond well to you, uh, lives of faith, lives of wrestling with you in prayer, uh, lives of obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, recently, a friend of mine was training for a marathon, but not one of the 42-kilometre marathons, but one of the 100-kilometre marathons. And uh, he, every week he was running up a particular hill near his house, so he'd do this hill circuit. And he said um, on the days before he ran the marathon, he said he'd run this hill 176 times over two years. And uh, it was just to prepare himself for the race. And he said he, he didn't enjoy any of those runs up the hill at all. Uh, he, he, he had no enjoyment in it, but he was just training himself for this massive race. And the first time that he'd run it, he hadn't made it to the finish line, but just recently he ran uh, for 15 hours and he made it across the finish line of this 100-kilometre marathon. He endured the short-term pain for the long-term gain of winning the race. And we know that this is how life works in lots of different areas. We do know that, don't we? Uh, when you prune plants, it leads them to prosper. When you study, it leads to success. Okay, DeVries kids, it leads to success. Uh, exertion leads to excellence. Discipline leads to distinction. The Bible says a lot about God actually using trials and discipline to grow us and to bring us uh, to a place of maturity. Uh, it says that this is the way that God actually refines us and sharpens our faith and grows our faith so that, it's, that we're more pure, that we're more righteous, that we're more like Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, might result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says this, it says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now the discipline that we go through as Christians is different to punishment. It's not punishment. It is uh, the work of God using difficult things, using seasons of challenging times to bring us to be more like what he wants us to be. I can still think back to lessons that my parents taught me 
know, lessons about what clothes to wear, what clothes not to wear, you know, what food to eat, what food not to eat, how to eat my food, how not to eat my food. And it's made me, you know, who I am today. But when you're in the middle of discipline, it doesn't feel nice. It doesn't feel good. It might, um, it might make you feel uh, humbled and like you're in a season of pain and suffering and like your ego is being crushed and like you're losing your sense of yourself and your freedom and your, your enjoyment. But in the long run, it's so good for you. It is so good to go through those seasons that God gives and in fact you'd never you'd never be the person that you end up being without going through them there's another verse in 2 corinthians 4 the apostle paul says therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day that's renewal by god himself by his spirit for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the context this morning is that we're in a series in the book of Genesis. We're thinking about uh, these various characters through the Old Testament narrative, starting with Abraham and looking at his sons uh, and their wives. And uh, we start with Abraham, we go to Isaac, now we're with Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And we're thinking about how God has made promises to these people which are going to come to fruition in the future. Promise for a blessing, for a great name, for great descendants, for a land which becomes the, the nation of Israel. And these are promises that come down to us through Jesus, who is one of the great, 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 great descendants of Abraham. And the series we're titled, God Being the Master Storyteller. So it's, it, that, that's what we're thinking about um, at the moment. So I want to take a few um, minutes together to think about the passages we've just read and think about what God is uh, teaching us this morning from these passages. And we're going to start, we're going to spend our time today thinking about Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And I want to start by thinking about his humility. Notice in this passage that he bowed, bows down in prayer before God. That's the first time we've seen him do that. In the whole thing. Before this, we've never seen Jacob pray, but now he bows down and he prays. He's got many wives, he's got many family around him. They're wandering uh, towards the place where God wants them to go. They're feeling afraid, and Jacob gets down on his knees and he prays to God. Previously, he's been a, a bit of a ratbag, really. He's been lying to people, he's been deceiving people. That's what he's known for, but now he's down on his knees. He's praying to the God who's made promises to him. And we see what the promise God makes to him is in chapter 31, verse 3, if you have it open. It says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers, to your relatives, and I will be with you. 
We've seen this dream that he has uh, previously where God uh, tells him that he's giving him this land and now God is reminding him, Jacob, I've made this promise to you and your family. Go back to the land. So he leaves his father-in-law who he has a very messy relationship with and he takes his flocks, his family and his things and he goes. But on the way, he has this unfinished business with his brother Esau. Do you remember their sibling rivalry? A rivalry to, um, you know, match that of the Kardashians, really. Uh, the, the, the thing on Jacob's mind at this point is Esau. He thinks about his brother. He doesn't have to go and speak to his brother. He's actually heading in the opposite direction. But he sends this delegation to go and get his brother and speak to him. And he sends all these gifts ahead of him. They have this rivalry. From the moment they were born, uh, Jacob's clutching Esau's heel. He deceives him into selling his birthright so that he, um, so he can have it and he gives him a bowl of soup for that. He deceives his own father in order to get the blessing that belongs to Esau, his brother. And now he sends this delegation to Esau with an abundance of gifts and he's compelled in himself to reunite with his brother. He's got this inner desire to fix things up. And you might be able to relate to that, that as you go on as a Christian, that God lays things on your heart that you just have to deal with or people that you have to reconcile with. I know a man in our church who says that he had neglected his relationship with his dad and it was in a very bad shape. And when he became a Christian, he reached out to his dad and started visiting his dad and he repaired the relationship over time. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what Jacob's trying to do here. But sometimes it backfires, and Jacob thinks it has backfired because he gets the word that Esau is now coming with 400 people, 400 men towards him. He's absolutely terrified. He thinks this is going to be his last night on the planet. He thinks it's all over. He divides his possessions into two groups. He thinks at least if Esau comes and is going to kill us, he can only kill half of us because we'll just separate. We'll get into different places. And then he bows down and he prays this prayer and you can see it in chapter 31 verse 9 he prayed oh god of my father abraham god of my father isaac lord you who said to me go back to your country and your relatives and i will make you prosper i am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant i had only a staff when i crossed the jordan but now i've become two camps Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. You notice how different Jacob is now. Look at him on the ground praying to God. He's not deceiving people. He's now dependent on God. He's not conniving. He's contrite before God. He's not greedy. He's grateful. He's not fickle. He's got faith in God. He's been brought to the end of himself 
And then he just turns his eyes up to God. And maybe you've been in some moments like that in your life where you've come to the end of your own resources and all you can do is pray. And that is a spiritually healthy place to be. might not be pleasant, but it's great for your soul. And that's what Jacob does in 1 Peter 5... Verses 6 to 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So I want to ask you this morning, do we actually recognise that for all the comforts of this city of Sydney, that we are not in control of our lives and we're not meant to be. That's right, God is. We don't know what's coming for our health or for our families or for our relationships, our jobs, our future. So we need to learn a healthy humility before the God who holds everything in his hands and dependence on him. The Apostle Paul tells us that at one moment in his life he had this messenger given to him from Satan and I don't know what that is exactly but he tells us why God gave it to him he says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 therefore in order to keep me from being conceited in order to keep me from pride I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me that sounds horrible, but... And he asked God multiple times to take it away. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul knows it is good to be in that place of humility and humbleness before God. It's actually the normal posture of Christianity. It is coming to God, not with a stiff neck, not telling him what we think we need or what he should do but coming before God with bent knees to plead with him to depend on him. Now, we don't know the exact details of how things are going to unfold for ourselves. We don't know the twists and turns, but we do know, we do know that in all of it, God's reliable and he's never going to let go of any promise that he makes. That's true for Jacob as much as, as it's true for us as well. A number of years ago, I was in a church that went through a very challenging season where there was a split in the congregation and people left the church. There was accusations being made about um, the, the leaders of the church. And it was lots of pain for everyone. And in one of those prayer meetings, um, someone began with these words from an old Puritan prayer which had been put into a song by Sovereign Grace. Um, Someone just sang this out in, in the prayer meeting. When you lead me to the valley of vision, I can see you in the heights. And though my humbling wouldn't be my decision, it's here your glory shines so bright. So let me learn that the cross precedes the crown. To be low is to be high. That the valleys where you make me more like Christ. Let me find your grace in the valley. Let me find your life in my death. 
Let me find your joy in my sorrow, your wealth in my need, that you're near with every breath in the valley. So Jacob is in that valley. He's come to the end of himself. He thinks he's going to die. His brother's coming towards him and he turns his heart to the Lord. And he's a great example for us in that of humility, of trust, dependence on God. The danger for us, friends, is actually when we're not humbled before God, when we're just cruising through life like we're in control of everything. I was so encouraged this week at our prayer meeting over at Macquarie Park on Wednesday night that um, one of our members shared about a time in her life when she had a brain tumour and then that season was followed by a time when she got breast cancer. And just for years of her life, she was just battling this cancer. And she said she couldn't watch TV, she couldn't read, she couldn't concentrate, but all she could do was sit at her kitchen table and sit in the presence of God and speak to him. And she said that miraculously at the end of that season of life, when, a, when the cancer was actually gone, that she came to a point where she said, I don't want to leave the table and sitting here speaking to God because I, I've seen so much here of him and I've come to know God so deeply and in this way that I don't want to walk away from. So there's Jacob's humility. That's the first thing we see. The next thing we see is Jacob's discipline. It's not just that we find ourselves in challenging times, but God actually uses these, intentionally uses them to discipline us, which again, it's not punishment. It's, it's, it's a season of um, being broken down, having things taken away from us to have our dependence placed more in him. This is Jacob's night of what I might call WWF prayer. <laughs> He's, a, he's in a wrestling match with God. <laughs> and it's confusing. It's, it's quite a confusing little section. It, it raises more questions than it answers. Two comments I want to make about it before we think about the details. The first is that we, we can't domesticate the God of the Bible. We can't ever read the Bible to um, just get God in a neat little box and say this is exactly how God works. Because he is God, we are not. And his ways might seem strange to us, but that's kind of the point because he is God. He is holy. He is not like us. And if, if God fitted neatly into a little box that we created, then that would make us bigger than him, wouldn't it? So God, God's ways actually bend and stretch our minds so that we think, how is this possible? What is happening here? The second thing here I want you to see is that uh, we need to look across the whole Bible and think about how all, all of it fits together, not just read one section in isolation from the others. Uh, so we read lots of passages, and when we read lots of passages, we find that this kind of thing happens a little bit. Uh, what Jacob is doing here, wrestling a man who turns out to be God... Uh, this actually happens in different places. So angels in the Bible are often representatives of God, bringing a message for him. They're often human-looking. Uh, and, and Hebrews tells us that they're ministering spirits, but they come as humans. 
And even more than that, when the angel of the Lord appears to people, uh, that angel seems to have the presence of God himself so that when people meet the angel of the Lord, they kind of say, uh, I've met God. That's what happened with Hagar back in chapter 16. She's in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord comes to her and she um, calls him the God who sees me, the God who sees me. And in Genesis 18, we're told the Lord appeared to Abraham. And then the very next verse, we have three men coming out to meet Abraham. And when he speaks with those men, he says, you know, I've met God. Sometimes it's like God is uh, appearing to someone, but through the human eyes, what the person sees is another human. Uh, and they come to recognise this person as God himself. Now, that, that seems to be what's happening here. Jacob wrestles with a man, but that man is none other than God himself. Now, we do learn in the Bible that one day God will take on flesh, that one day the Son of God will take on flesh, become <coughs> the Lord Jesus. And so some people have seen these appearances of God throughout the Bible as being kind of pre-incarnate appearances of Christ. That's definitely possible. But I think the point is here partly that we just need to sit with the mystery and the strangeness of what's happening here. That's part of the point. So let's look at the wrestling with Jacob. He, he doesn't go looking for it. It comes to him. He sends his family and his possessions over the Jabbok River uh, to keep them in safety. And he is alone on the other side of the river. And at this point, he's totally alone, totally by himself. And this man comes and seizes him, pulls him into a wrestling match. And this doesn't go on just for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. This goes all night. This goes from... Um, the beginning of the night through to the dawn and it's just these two men worming away, wriggling with each other in headlocks, swinging their limbs, constricting ribs, struggling in pain and difficulty and Jacob does pretty well. It's actually a stalemate at one point. In verse 25, the man saw that he could not overpower him and you think, how can God not overpower a man? To think that God didn't have the strength for that, but of course he did, actually. Because he unleashes his secret move, which is to touch Jacob's hip. And then he's totally paralysed in the hip. And uh, Jacob realises that he's met his match, that this, this is no ordinary human He's numb, and in verse 26, he said, the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He knows he's in the presence of God, because who else can touch you and send your hip out of joint? And so he looks to God's power. He says, This is God. He's powerful. I want a blessing from him before I let him go. And he asked for something good from God. As James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And in chapter 32, verse 
27, the man said, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So the deceiver becomes the prevailer. Jacob the liar becomes Israel the patriarch. And this is a very significant moment, not just for Jacob and his family, but for the nation of Israel, for the whole of salvation history, that this man, through his 12 sons, is going to have the tribes of Israel in his family. Now, trials do come to us as well. Uh, And we need to learn from Jacob here. We need to learn from what he, how he interacts with God. I was reading this week a book called The Happiness Trap. And it's a self-help book, but it's a bit different to other self-help books because he's trying to dispel the myths about happiness. And this is what he says, if you're not happy, you're normal. If you're not happy, you're normal. The difference as Christians is we know that God uses those seasons of life to bring us into a place of blessing and the process is painful and challenging and hard and sometimes you have to go through a wrestling match with God in prayer but it's normal to suffer and it's actually by God's grace by his sovereign hand it is good now I don't want you to mishear this Because forgiveness from God in Christ is freely available to us. It's not like we have to beg that from God and wrestle all night for him to forgive us of our sins. That's freely available to us in Christ. But our growth in Christ, being transformed, being sanctified, being changed, that is something that we often do need to wrestle with God about. There have been times I've prayed about sins in my life, addictions, habits, thoughts, and I've thought there's no human way that this can change. And I've kept praying and it seems like you're praying into the air or it seems like you're just wrestling and not getting anywhere. But God, over time, can choose to bless and use painful things to grow us to be more like Christ. The final verse of the the prayer that I read before says this, in the daytime there are stars in the heavens but they only shine at night and the deeper that I go into darkness the more I see their radiant lights. So let me learn that my losses are my gain. To be broken is to heal that the valleys where your power is revealed. Sometimes God uses the dark nights of your life to show his glory more brightly. And if you weren't in the darkness, you couldn't see it shining. It could be illnesses or relationship breakdowns, mental distress, loss and frustrations. And in these times, God wants us to come to him and wrestle with him. Now, maybe if we never wrestle with God... We need to start doing that. Is there some way that you'd like to grow 
with God? Is there something that uh, you need to bring before him? Something where you can just be really honest with God about what's going on in your life and treat him as, as the best friend that he is and let him into the, the most uh, private places in your life and just share it with him. And would you pray and not let God go in one sense until he blesses you, until he grows you in this area? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating for a name it and claim it theology. But what I am saying is to take seriously what God says to us about growing in holiness, growing to be more like his son and pleading with him, uh, wrestling those blessings out of his hands so that we actually go forward. And even if it takes all night or for months or for years that we just keep speaking to him about it, the next morning Jacob wakes up, he meets his brother and things are actually okay between them. Esau is peaceful towards him and God's blessing has been poured out on their relationship. These stories of the Old Testament are written to bless us, to teach us what the life of faith looks like as people wait for the promises of God, as they look for the, uh, the kingdom that's coming. And they live in faith of him. And sometimes we do have to wrestle with God to overcome the trials and temptations we go through. So maybe for some of us this week, it could just be that you need to find an hour. You need to find an hour with God to speak to him about some things. You know, we do that for a movie or for a TV show, no, no worries, but... Can we find an hour with God to pray? Maybe for others this week, the challenge is um, to commit yourself to praying about something for a period of time and just to keep speaking to God about it. Maybe it's a stubborn sin. Maybe it's something in your life that is weighing heavily on your heart and just to keep coming before God about it particularly friends the things that god has promised that he wants for us in his word those things which are going to make us more like jesus or maybe god is laying on your heart our whole church family and that we as a church need to struggle and keep struggling in prayer for ourselves as a church because how will we go forward in faithfulness if we don't pray if we don't wrestle with God. <coughs> or maybe it's praying for a family member or a friend until you prevail for that person. I'm not guaranteeing that God is going to say yes to every prayer, but would we at least come and wrestle with him about it? And as we do that, let's remember that we've already received the ultimate grace from God, the grace that comes to us in Christ because he, 2,000 years ago, wrestled in a garden with his father and he said, Lord, if it's your will, Father, would you take this cup from me? If there's any other way, please let it be shown because I don't want to drink this cup. And in the end, Jesus takes the cup for us, for our benefit. But not after a great wrestle with God. 
And in his wrestle, he comes to the prayer of saying, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so he drinks that cup down so that we will never have to drink it. He takes the wrath of God so that we would never face it. And only blessing comes to us now through Christ. And so as you wrestle with God in prayer, remember that you wrestle as a child of God, one who has been adopted into his family. You're not wrestling as his enemy or as someone who has to convince him to have favour to you. And yes, sometimes we feel that, that heavy hand of discipline on our life, but it's only for a time and it's only to grow us and change us. My friend ran up that hill 170-something times and it was not fun. He said none of them were fun, but it helped him to get over the finish line of that race. And that is how God is using the trials in our lives. God is already committed to blessing us in Christ and he is now using the school of suffering, the training yard of trials, of discipline to grow us, to make us look more like Jesus. Could we pray together? Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the example of Jacob and we thank you that um, he wrestled with you and we thank you for your plan that blessed him. We thank you, Father, that uh, as we await the fulfilment of your promises like Jacob did, uh, that you promise that you're also going to use the challenges and trials in our lives as discipline to grow us to be the people you want us to be. We thank you for that, Father, and we pray that you would give us that perspective um, when we're going through, through trials. I pray particularly for anyone here this morning going through a unique trial or a special time of difficulty. Father, would you be near to them and remind them of the promise in your Son and remind them that you are with them and empower us to keep walking with you, to keep wrestling with you, to keep praying to you, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who suffered so much for us. And Father, we just pray for your grace and your work here with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.